Hey, what's up, Kai Alpha? How are you guys doing tonight? Yeah. So good to see you. My name is Josh, and I am on the team here. Um, if you haven't met me, my name is Josh, and I already said that. So I'd love to see the rest of your face sometime, but who could say when that's going to happen? Um, but I am looking forward to tonight. I'm glad that we can all be here together. I was actually really thankful that it was uh, 80 degrees outside today, right? Like, that was nice. Like, we were out in the backyard uh, playing with the dogs, um, Harley, and then our dog, Maverick, and then multiple sets of children, some that belonged to us, some that didn't, some that I met for the very first time today. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they got in our yard, but I think they jumped the fence behind, and so... I think the one girl's name was Izzy. Is that correct, Taryn? Like, can I get it? Izzy? Yep. Okay, her name was Izzy. Uh, and so she was out playing. We have four kids, and so they were out in the backyard playing. So none of that has anything to do with anything I'm going to say. So now let's transition. So, hey. hey, so we are in a series this semester. We're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I love the book of 1 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians was written to a church that did a lot of things wrong. Okay, 1 Corinthians is, is written to the church at Corinth. Paul writing a letter to them. And Corinth was a town that is like many towns that you know. Corinth was a town that was the mid, the, in the center of culture. It was the center of the arts. It was the center of uh, society. There were festivals. There were parties. And there was uh, commerce. There was, there was trade. There were all, it sounds a lot like a lot of college towns today. Do you know what I mean? There were all these different people that were coming together, and the church was forming. And the church wrote a letter to Paul and trying to figure out some things that are happening as the church is trying to figure out who she is. As the church is trying to figure out how to live in a culture that is, uh, that is doing things differently. How to live in a culture where they're like, how, how do we make this work? How can we live this way? And how, how do we answer this question? And what do we do when this happens? And Paul writes the letter to the church at Corinth to give them the answers in which they are seeking. And tonight... We're going to be looking at one of those answers. I know you guys are all on the edge of your seat right now. You're like, oh, what is it? What is the answer we're going to get? Tonight, we're going to talk about food sacrifice to idols. Hey. Feels super relevant, doesn't it, right? Absolutely, food sacrifice to idols. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we have some for free that you can have and you can keep. Better than a t-shirt, if you know what I mean. So you can have a Bible. Anybody need a Bible? You can just throw your hand up in the air like you just don't care. Is that a song that you guys know or is that just a song that I know? Okay, you just don't like it. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not mad at that. So Great. So... <laughs> So, food sacrifice to idols. There you see at the top the subheading in my Bible, maybe in your Bible too, says concerning food sacrifice to idols. And before we get started, I guess we should probably take a little bit of time and think about what food sacrifice to idols meant. Like, what did that mean? That's not, that's not common in Harrisonburg, right? That's not, like, that's not like something that we normally like pass by on the street. Like, we don't think about idol food, you know what I mean? And so, what was food sacrifice to idols? So, the church at Corinth... Probably at this time, we're right around 55 AD. Okay, Corinth is a city where there are a lot of temples to gods and goddesses. There are a lot of, um, the vernacular for the term would be pagan feasts that would happen. And what would happen is they would, they would bring in all this meat, they would slaughter the animals, and they would have a huge feast to the god or the goddess of that temple. 
Okay, and then these feasts would not just be for the people that were coming in to worship this god or worship this goddess, but they would also be for the whole community. It would be a huge social gathering. Like, this would be like, like the party of parties, if you know what I mean. And also, meat was kind of a big deal because meat wasn't as common as it is today. Okay, they didn't have like mass-produced, like super-hormone meat. Like, okay, poor people didn't get to eat meat. Okay, meat was not something that was common. And so, like, these festivals where they would sacrifice to these... Uh, these gods, these goddesses, these, these idols, they were like the talk of the town and everybody wanted to be there. And people would come there and they would eat and they would have a party and it would be like a big social event and then they would go about their weeks and they would go about their days, okay? And so as this is happening, the church at Corinth is like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, I just, this, this feels a little weird and, and like so other people are like, no, it doesn't feel that weird. Like, this is just normal. This is just what we do. Like, this is just a part of life. And other people are like, well, I don't know if we should be doing this anymore. And they're like, oh, I don't know. And so they write to Paul and say, hey, can you give us a little bit of help on this topic? Okay, we don't, we don't know how to interact socially here. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And so can you give us some wisdom and can you show us the way forward? Okay, and so this would have been like super normal for them to write Okay, so you guys, when you guys have an argument amongst you and your friends, how do you settle the argument? You just, you just, you fight, right? You just fist, fisticuffs, right? No, you just look it up on the internet, right? Like in that moment, like you have a computer in your pocket, like it's like, okay, I just, I can, we can get the answer here right now. When I was growing up, before cell phones were a thing, do you know what I mean? Like back when we used to have dorm phones, okay, and that's how you communicate with people, like, like, we, like when we would have an argument about something and we'd be like, I don't know what the, what the, what the answer is here, we would like be like, I'm going to get back to you. Or we would like call somebody and they would look it up or we would go to like the library and look it up. Or we would have to go back to our computer that was like hardwired to the internet back in those days and be like, yo, how do we figure this out? And so you guys, you're like, no, nah, I'm just going to Google it. And so we'll just figure it out right now. And it turns out you're wrong, Paul. Sorry. Uh, not like Paul, but like Paul. Okay. <laughs> Tough. <laughs> and so but the church at Corinth is like we don't know the answer there's no internet we don't know how to find the answer so they write to Paul and Paul is answering them throughout the book of 1 Corinthians and tonight we're going to look at food sacrifice to idols and so let's start reading in chapter 8 uh, we'll start in verse let's say 1 <sighs> Paul writes, now about food sacrificed to idols. Yes, Paul, exactly. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the exact moment. We've been, we have been waiting for you to answer this question for seven chapters. We, we wrote to you about it, and now finally Paul's getting around to it. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge. Okay. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Okay, that's the first, that's, the, that's how Paul opens his statements when it comes to food sacrifice to idols. He says, okay, so we all possess knowledge. Okay, and, but we know that knowledge puffs up. We know that love builds up. And Paul, like, to, to start the conversation, he's like, okay, wait. I want to answer your question. I really do. But in order for me to be able to answer the question about food sacrifice to idols, we got to take a step back. We got to take a step back. We got to look at this from a from a different angle. We got to look at this at the bigger picture. That it's not just gonna. You're, what we're gonna see is it's not just about the food that's been sacrificed to idols. It's not just about the food. It's not just about the meat. It's not just about the idols. But that actually the issue, the root issue, 
the way that we can solve this issue, the way that we can understand this when it comes to reframing our freedom is that we have to rethink the way we think about knowledge. We have to reframe the way we think about love. And we have to understand that to take a step back and to say we can't answer the specifics of the situation. We can't, we can't answer that unless we take a step back and say your knowledge can't be as important as your love. So the goal of our lives it shouldn't, should, should, is the goal of our lives to love more or to know more. And many in the church in Corinth will say, well, the goal has been to know more. Like we are, we're an academic center. Like there's all these things coming in and we want to we get more knowledge. We want to understand more things. We want to know, we want to know, we want to know. And you all sit here at a, at a university where you have paid countless thousands of dollars, right, in order to know more things in order to understand more things. And you're here tonight, presumably, because you want to know more things, because you want to understand more things about God. And, and maybe you are on a journey of faith. Maybe you have been walking with Jesus for years. Maybe you are just now like checking this Jesus thing out, but you've come here to know more things. And Paul says, it's not just about the knowledge. It's not just about what you know. It's not just about how well you know it that if you don't understand that to love is more important, that if you don't understand that love is what builds us up and knowledge just puffs us up, knowledge just makes us thinking about ourselves, and that that knowledge must lead us to love, and that love must lead us to knowledge, and love must be the most important part. And then when it comes to our freedom, when it comes to our futures, when it comes to our friends' futures, that we must understand that love is the way forward. And so loving your brothers and sisters is more important than being right. Which Julia pointed out to us just a couple weeks ago when we talked about forgiveness. That loving your brothers and sisters is more important than being right. Loving your brothers and sisters is more important than being right in this certain situation. Because some people in the church were telling, asking Paul, like, hey, Paul, we feel like we're in the right. Can you help us? Can you tell these other people they're wrong? Like, tell these other people that, that we have the knowledge and we have gotten this right, and can you say that we are correct on this issue? And Paul says, take a step back. It's not about being right. It's not about knowing more. It's about loving more. And so now let's dive into the issue. And so Paul says in verse 4, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. So Paul says, so, then about food sacrifice to idols, he's like, okay, now we're ready to get into the topic that you all came for. This is why you all showed up at Tuesday Night Live, because you're finally here. You're going to figure out what does Paul have to say about food sacrifice to idols. You're so excited. I can see the smiles on your faces. It's not true. I can't because of the masks, not because you don't have them. Man, this guy's super funny. I love that about him. <laughs> I'm just trying to be your inner monologue right now. Okay. Why does he keep doing that? We don't know either. So then you see the quotations that happen. Paul is quoting back to them what they wrote to him. Okay, so they're saying like, 
hey, Paul, like, talk to us about these food sacrifices to idols. Like, we know an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. And Paul, like, reaffirms, yes, that is correct. Idols aren't real, right? Okay, so these things that these people are worshiping, these things that these temples to, to gods and goddesses, these, these wooden statues, these golden images, these things that exist, like, they're not real. They have no power. They, they don't e- exist in eternity. They are not like the God Jehovah. They're not like Yahweh. They're not like the one true God. And here, the church at Corinth, and Paul hearkening back to Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Like, this is who he is. He is the ultimate creator. He is the God of the cosmos. He is the God that spoke everything into existence. And so these other things, they're nothing. These other things aren't really real. They don't really exist. They don't really matter. And so why would it matter that we would eat food that's been sacrificed to them? Because they're not real. They're not true. They have no power. They have no authority. They did not create anything. They were created by someone. And so these idols aren't real. And Paul's like, yes, you are exactly right. And you can see the difference in the, in your, luckily in your English translation here, you see the different, like, there is but one God, capital G. There are many gods, lowercase g, and many lords. And Paul there is just making a statement that, that people do worship things, right? You've seen this in your, your friends in your hall. You've seen this in your family. You've seen this all throughout your growing up and your coming and your going, that people worship things. Things are worshipped all the time, and so we create little g gods. We create little l lords. But there is but one God. One great Jehovah, one I am, one who is and will be and is to come. Like, this is who he is. And so Paul's saying he is the most important thing. So keep the main thing the main thing and don't worry about the other things. And Paul reaffirms the oneness of God. But then he says, but, but think back about whether or not the knowledge of that is more important than the love that you would have for the community. And he continues. He says, but, verse 7, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as, as having sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it, and no better if we do. And so here is what the real issue is for Paul. And this is the issue that those with knowledge did not perceive. Their knowledge did not bring them to an understanding of love. Their knowledge did not bring them to an understanding of what people around them were thinking, what other people around them were feeling. And so what would happen is as they would be gathered at these social feasts, as they would be eating in an idol's temple, as they would be partaking in the meat, people would be walking by on the streets. And they would see elders in the church at Corinth, and they would see someone who had been discipling them or someone who had invited them to the house church that week, and they would see them eating at the idol's temple. And they'd be like, wait, I thought, I thought as Christians, like, this, this was different. I thought, we were like, I thought we were saying that these things aren't real. I thought we were saying that, that God is the most important thing in our lives, and like, like, even if it is a social, even if it is the place to be, like, that's not, that, I don't understand. And what Paul says... He says their conscience is weak and they are defiled. And so they're confused, they're frustrated, they're trying to figure out what, what, like what exactly is going on here. Like what, what, do you, what, do you, what, what are you supposed to do here? And that's not what the church at Corinth meant to communicate. 
That's not what they thought their knowledge was leading people to. They thought like, oh no, it's just like this is the freedom that we have in Christ. Because they're not real, it doesn't matter. We are allowed to do this. There is only one God. His name is Jehovah and the rest of it doesn't matter. So why can't we do this? And the person walking by on the street is like, that's not the conclusion that they're drawing because they don't have that knowledge yet. Because their conscience is weak, because they haven't understood this, because nobody's taught it to them. Or, or for whatever reason, they are confused, they are frustrated, and it becomes a stumbling block. It becomes a, a thing that would put doubt in the back of their mind. They're like, now what do we do? And so Paul writes this letter to help people see that our love must be more important than our knowledge. That we don't, the freedom that we have in Christ is real, but that love is the motivating factor. And so Paul continues, he says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become the stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, and I just feel like that's like a, just a jab, like right in the stomach, with all your knowledge. Eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister whom, for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. That's for you, Hannah. Uh, so that I will not cause them to fall. My daughter is actually considering being a vegetarian right now. She is 10, um, and she's like pretty much ready to be a vegetarian, uh, except for chicken nuggets from McDonald's. Like, like that is the thing that she would pick. I'm like, oh, Lord, help her. Um, and so this is where the rubber hits the road, right? This weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. What Paul is saying is the cross is too important. The cross is too universal. The cross is too explosive. The cross is too, like, too big for us to think that our freedom that we have because of the cross. Like Christ has set us free, and we are free indeed because of the cross. And the cross is no respecter of persons. The cross doesn't care who we are. The cross doesn't care what we've done. The cross is always about our way forward. It's always about who we're going to be with and how Jesus is with us and how we can continue to be with him. And it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter like what we are becoming, that we are being conformed into the image of Christ. This is what the cross has done. And, and Paul says to this church, the cross is too big. Jesus is too worth it for us to, to be worried about just exercising our freedom because of our knowledge. That instead, we should exercise our love for our brothers and sisters, and we should see them as people that we can care for, as people that we can love, as people that we can help to build up. Because as he told us at the very beginning, that love builds up, that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is about us. Knowledge is about what we know. But love builds up the community. Love is about helping each other continue to flourish. Love is about seeing the kingdom flourish in our brothers and sisters. And how many of you know that that is actually more fun? That as we love well and as we see people around us uh, thrive, as we see them grow into who they're supposed to be, like this is some of the most fun times that we could have. When someone comes over and they, they share good news with us and we can rejoice with them, we're like, yes, this is it. This is exactly it. This is everything we have hoped for. This is what we've been praying for. This is the moment. This is, this is true love. This is true community. And Paul says, live like this. 
Don't let your knowledge get in the way. Don't let your supposed freedom defile your brother or sister. But instead, live a life of love. And so maybe you won't eat meat. Maybe you won't participate in the social feast, but that you will think about your brothers and your sisters as you go throughout your days, as you go throughout your weeks, as you go throughout the weekend, that you would think about your brothers and sisters. Because what Paul says is the problem isn't the meat, right? The problem isn't that they're eating meat, because people eat, ate meat at other times. And the problem isn't that it's an idol's temple, right? Because Paul says they're, they're, these things aren't real. The problem is what that symbolizes in your brother or sister's mind when they walk by, when you talk about it, when they hear that you were there. The problem is what does it symbolize and what does that do to them? And how, what, how does your knowledge treat them in their inner thoughts? How does your knowledge treat them as they think about this, as they walk by? Maybe they just saw it out of the corner of their eye. Maybe they heard it from a friend when they went to work the next day. Or maybe you were even talking about it because it wasn't a big deal at all. And Paul says, what would love tell you to do? The problem is the symbol. We know that meat can mean different things at different times. Okay, so... At this point, I've spent a lot of time talking about food sacrifice to idols, right? And uh, not many of you came tonight or came to JMU thinking, man, I hope that by the end of my four years or five years, Lord bless you, um, that I hope I have a full understanding of food sacrifice to idols, right? Like not many of you thought. So let's, uh, let's try to make a jump to today, okay? Um, and so I've got, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and see if you guys are willing to be participatory, right? Okay, so as we've been talking tonight about food sacrifice to idols, as we've been talking about social customs and social feasts and parties that are happening, and we've been talking about people walking by and seeing and, and the church being confused about what people are doing and the symbol that it represents, is there anything on the college campus is there anything in American culture, is there anything here at JMU or really at many, any other place that comes to your mind to, to make like a jump to a certain topic tonight? Huh? Yeah, it's, what? Alcohol. That's my guy in the back. Whew. Yes, alcohol. I want to talk about alcohol tonight. Yeah, and I'm terrified at this point. So, all right, so alcohol. Let's talk about alcohol. And some of you are like, oh, no, this is not why I came to Kyle for tonight. This is not what I wanted to talk about. They're like, what is this guy going to do? Okay, so we talked about idol uh, meat sacrifices and that it can mean different things when we see it in different contexts and i believe the same is true for alcohol so i've got four pictures i'm going to put one of them up at a time and i want you to tell me what the symbol is what does alcohol mean in that context romance yes this is <laughs> jeff is ready that's my guy he's like look man katie talked about sex last week so like yes so romance 
why did I say that? Nobody knows why I said that. <laughs> That's tough. So, romance, we got, we got candlelight, we've got wine, it's probably, there's a rose, there's going to be some type of fancy dinner, right? Like romance, great. The next one. This is, not, this is celebration, right? Yeah, this is, uh, this is the Mets because I, like, I pulled up like champagne in a locker room and it was like the Lakers and I just couldn't deal with it. So instead, and then it was like the Yankees and I like, couldn't deal with that. So we went with the Mets because nobody knows they don't win in anything. Uh, and so here's the Mets celebrating after winning the pennant, right? And so like the champagne, it represents celebration. They got the ski goggles on. Like, and they, like, there's, it's a celebration of, of the, the accomplishment that has happened. This is why we see celebrations at weddings, the toast. Often happens over champagne. This is New Year's Eve, like the excitement of making it through 2020, right? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Okay, next. I think we've got two more. Worship. Yeah, this is communion, right? So this is, this is the wine and the cheap wafers. It's like, so it's like, like, man, why are we eating cardboard? Like, it's supposed to be like Jesus' body. Do you know what I mean? Like, come on, can we get some, like, good bread? So all you guys that are gluten-free, I'm sorry. Um, and so this represents worship, and we can see alcohol represent worship. And so, so far we've seen romance, we've seen celebration, and we've seen worship. Okay, hit me with the next one. <laughs> like, what does this one represent, right? Like, this, this is a tough one. This is a picture from... What is the name of the movie? I can't remember. It like wasn't a very it wasn't a movie that I had seen or heard of, but it was supposed to be like a No, it's not Will Ferrell. Like I wish it was, right? Like it was like old school or uh, an, I mean Animal Animal House is the movie I grew up with. This is I think this is called Beta House. Yeah, there's a Beta. Yeah, that's a Beta. Uh, so this is Beta House. It's supposed to be like a a sequel to Animal House so that your generation would watch it, or maybe my generation, they look, it doesn't look very good, so it probably was more my generation than your generation. Tough. That's got no, no laughs. No, you guys are all still like, where is he going with this? Um, and so what, what we've seen over these last four pictures is that alcohol can mean different things in different contexts, right? Alcohol can, can mean worship. Alcohol can mean celebration. Alcohol can be a symbol of a lot of different things. And the way that we treat alcohol, the way that we view alcohol as the church, as Christians, and as we see it as a symbol, and what our knowledge will draw us to is what I want to talk about for the rest of our time tonight. And I am going to put my phone number up at the end tonight. And, or, uh, and if you have any questions about, if you have any questions, um, this guy, like, if you have any questions, I'm going to take an open Q&A tonight on alcohol or whatever else you want to talk about from 1 Corinthians 8. Um, and so you can text us in at the end, or if you would like to just ask them out loud, you'll be able to do that. I'm hoping that we stop the recording before we do the Q&A so that I can answer very honestly. And now I want to <laughs> edit that out of the recording. So anyways, <laughs> any, luckily I'm in charge of the recording, so I can, in fact, do that. That pause was so I knew where to cut it. So great. So here's the thing. First, drinking alcohol is not a sin. I just want to get that out there, okay? 
Some of you have grown up in homes and some of you have grown up in churches or probably grown up in cities where drinking alcohol was viewed as a sinful act. Okay? When people talked about alcohol, it's like, oh, that's something that those people do. Okay? And I think that as we talk about alcohol the rest of the night tonight, like the, the house that you grew up in, the community or community of faith that you grew up in, um, is going to lead you down certain paths when it comes to your view of alcohol. Also, as we continue, I want to be very clear that when Paul is, a, is addressing the church at Corinth here, it's just that. Paul is addressing the church when it comes to alcohol. Paul is in no way, in no how, addressing the rest of Corinth. He has no right to do so, right? Like, as, as we live as, as Christians, as we are people who follow Jesus, they, like the way that we view alcohol is going to be different than the way that culture views alcohol because of what the cross has done for us, because of our understanding of knowledge and love. And as we reframe the conversation, we can only really talk to ourselves. So there's no sense in us being upset about what culture is doing. There's no sense in us being like mad or throwing rocks or whatever it would be at culture because what good would that do? So Paul writes this letter to the church and we communicate it now to Chi Alpha to see what the church would say, to see what Jesus would say, to see what Paul told us to do and how to view alcohol. So first, drinking alcohol is not a sin. Jesus' first uh, miracle was turning water into grape juice. Nope, sorry. It was actually wine. Like, okay, Paul tells Timothy, and uh, I think it's 1 Timothy, Timothy's got a little bit of a stomach ache, and Paul tells him, take a little wine to help you with your stomach, Okay. Like alcohol, wine in particular, was a part of the church's life, okay? That's just, that's just it, okay? Second, underage drinking is not okay. Whew, tough, right? Okay? The Bible tells us to obey the law of the land, to, to obey those who are in authority over us, and to follow the way that is right. And so when it comes to drinking underage, when it comes to being under 21 and consuming, I would believe the biblical text would tell you not to. Okay, I drank fairly heavily in high school because I'm from a small town, and it felt like that's what you're supposed to do, like drive to a field, right? And some reason always driving. I didn't start drinking till I started driving. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? I look back on that, I was just, I'm just like, that was fascinating. And so, anyways, that, where was I going with that? Hmm. This, is, this is what happens when you drink too much when you're in high school. Oh no, here's what it was. When I got to college, I joined Chi Alpha and began to understand my life in Christ and was like, Man, like, I, don't, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't think this is right. And so I stopped drinking when I got to college, which is like the exact opposite of what many people do, right? I was like, okay, drank heavily in high school and then like got to college, met Jesus for real, for real. I was like, okay, I'm going to stop doing that until I turn 21, and then we're going to see what happens. Okay, third, drunkenness is also not good to go. Okay, now, I think when I say drunkenness, it can be like a little confusing. Like what is, what is drunkenness for some person is not drunkenness for another person. And I'm going to have to agree with you there, right? Like when it comes to, to understanding the gray that is like uh, having control of ourselves and not having control of ourselves is the way that I want you to, to think about alcohol as you would progress to an age that is allowed to consume alcohol, okay? So the Bible tells us that 
the Proverbs are, they paint some really interesting pictures of alcohol. And so one of them says that uh, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. And then another one, it says, it, it, it talks about a person who has had too much to drink as someone who is like tossed to and fro, like they're, they're on a ship that is going out of control. And they wake up the next morning with a headache and they say, when can I find my next drink? And I can relate to that for too many weekends of my life to where that was what I thought was fun. That's what I thought was what I wanted to do with my life. That's what I was most looking forward to when it came to the weekend or the weekday or whatever it would be. And like the Bible tells us that to, to be controlled by the spirit and to not be controlled by other things. And so when it comes to drunkenness, I think a line that I, I drew for myself years ago was if something happens, I always want to be able to drive to help someone that needs help. And that was just a good rule of thumb for me. I'm not throwing that out there for any of you. I'm just saying that was an example that I use. It's something that you can think about. You can process with your small group leader. You can process with your housemates. You can process with your pastor to kind of see what that could potentially look like for you. Okay. Next. Fourth, we must learn how to live life in the radical middle, in the gray area of viewing alcohol as a symbol and how it plays out in our lives both here at the university and then even more so once you graduate. Because here's the thing, alcohol is not going anywhere. You may think that alcohol is just something you're going to talk about or uh, deal with while you're in college, but it's actually going to be for the rest of your life. Alcohol is a continuing, a growing part of American culture. Uh, over the last five years, the craft beer industry has grown at a rate of 4.4% and is up to over $7 billion a year in industry revenue. Happy hour is still a gathering place for after work. Tailgates, cookouts, celebrations, parties, these are all things in which alcohol will be present. And so we must understand how we are to interact with alcohol and what alcohol can look like in our lives. 70% of people over the age of 18 said that they drank in the past year. And 55% of people said they drank in the last month. It is not uncommon. Your family of origin will have a lot to do with how often you're going to see this in, in your family events. Um, my wife and I have very different families of origin when it comes to the way that we view alcohol. So that can sometimes uh, bring some tension uh, when two families get together for dinner and what that looks like. Alcohol addiction is also huge in the United States. Uh, binge drinking, as you all have seen um, over the past weekend, over the last month, over your time at the university, continues to be on the rise. Over 14 million people in America have alcohol use disorder. And I would encourage you, one, one morning, not one morning, they don't open until noon, go to the liquor store at noon and see the line that has already formed at the door for when it opens up. My brother, I don't think he's watching right now, today's his birthday. Um, my brother will sometimes text me and he'll like, he's like, hey, like there's a bottle of liquor at the store that it's like a special one and it's like it, there's only six bottles and so can you just drive by and see what the line is like? And so I'll drive by like downtown Harrisonburg, noon, and the line is like 25 people deep before the store even opens. Some of them are there on their lunch break but it's very clear some of them are there because they're jonesing, um, because they've been waiting for it to open. And alcohol, we have, some of us have seen this in our 
friends' lives, we've seen this in our family's lives, to where the control of alcohol has caused tremendous amounts of destruction. But again, Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding, like, and it, it involved alcohol. Like, and so how do we figure out what this means? How do we figure out what the symbol means? And how can we move forward as a church, as a community, where we can view love over knowledge? And so first, let's get us some knowledge and then see how love will play out in those situations. So first, as you think about alcohol when you're at such an age, identify the symbol of alcohol is the first thing I want you to do. I want you to look at where, where you are and as alcohol is being used and identify the symbol that alcohol is representing in that moment. There'll be times that it will be celebration. There will be times where it will be um, romance. There will be times that it will be just for debauchery. There will be times where alcohol will be used just to uh, give ourselves courage to do things that we wouldn't do in other situations. And as you think about alcohol, as you view alcohol, I want you to identify the symbol and see if that is a symbol that you want to take part in, if that is a symbol that would be helpful to your brother or sister, that is a symbol that would be helpful to you. And identify the symbol. I have a friend that I went to college with, he graduated, he went to Wall Street, I came to Harrisonburg, they're basically the same. Um, and so he's, he's at these like after work things on Wall Street, and he's having, the boss is having a party and there's different things and he's like, he said the way that I would view it is I would say like what is, how is alcohol being treated and if it's being treated as like a means to just get drunk in order to do things that I wouldn't do normally, then he wouldn't partake. But if alcohol was just a thing that was just happening after work, it was just part of the social atmosphere, then he'd be like, you know what? Maybe I can have a beer or two, and like that would be fine. Okay, because a lot, like, the professional world is actually not that professional. I know some of you are looking forward to the professional world, and it's gonna be like a very professional place, but it's actually not. And holiday parties can be like tremendous disasters in workplace environments as people, as, as alcohol is brought into the workplace and what happens because of that. So I want you to think about the symbol, identify the symbol to which alcohol is in that moment. Some of you are now replaying the past weekend, you've been replaying your past semester at JMU, and I want you to even think about when you were at places with alcohol, what was the symbol of alcohol at those events? What was the symbol of alcohol at those, uh, at those apartments? What is the way that people communicated concerning alcohol at those events? And what did it symbolize? It is not neutral. But we are figuring out how to live in this tension of the freedom that we have in Christ and the love that we have for our brothers and sisters. So secondly, what I'm asking you to do is choose with love. Some of you in the room will choose not to drink. Okay, and that will be a loving thing because of a family member, because of the way that you have seen alcohol, because you, maybe you're choosing to love yourself by not consuming alcohol. I have a lot of friends that don't uh, drink alcohol because they're really into CrossFit, and it doesn't make sense for them to do that to their body and then consume those type of calories, right? And they're like, this, is, this doesn't make logical sense for me to do this to myself, and so I choose not to do that. I'm instead like, I'm trying to do this CrossFit thing. Okay, other people I know, they don't, they don't drink alcohol because they don't like the taste of it. They're not gonna force themselves to drink something they don't like. 
Other people I know don't drink alcohol for religious reasons or they don't drink alcohol because they have a friend who's an alcoholic or a dad who's an alcoholic or a brother who's an alcoholic. And other people I know drink and drink often and they drink socially. And, they, and as they have chosen what it looks like, they've identified the symbol and they've been able to choose with love. And they know that as their church members, as their small group, as their friends walk by, it is not a stumbling block to them because of the way that they talk about alcohol because the way that they treat alcohol when they have it with them, and that it is not the same as what it would be. And so I want you to choose with love when you consider if you will partake in alcohol in certain situations, understanding what it can mean to our brothers and to our sisters, what they will think of us. And next, I want to talk... Uh, I would say briefly, but I feel like that could be a lie to me and to you about social media. Okay, so the church at Corinth, right? Okay, so here they have these feasts, and there are people that are gathered around, and they're eating this, this meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, and like people walk by, or people talk about it later, and it's like, that is how people hear about it, that's how they see it. But we live in a different day and age to where now social media is where we post everything, right? So our Instagram stories, or you guys don't do Facebook, so I'm not even going to say that word, like, or our Instagram posts, or our Snapchats, like, or whatever it's going to be, like, we post about all these things that we're doing, and here's the thing about social media, and you all know this because you've all perfected it. There's no context when it comes to social media. There's no understanding of the situation. There is, there is no way for anyone to understand exactly what was happening in that moment. The symbol is left to the people who are viewing it as to how they're going to perceive it. And if we don't give the right context, it communicates something that we don't always know that we are communicating. We think we're communicating freedom, but that really we are trapping our brothers and sisters, we're trapping our friends that we made freshman year into a, and a misunderstanding of what we are trying to say about who Jesus is and how this plays out in our lives. Okay, so we, like, we, take, we take one picture, and I just have several in mind, and it's, like, it's like, and it's like, okay, I'm holding two bottles, and then it's like, you know, so excited for this. And it's like, and nobody knows how much you had that night. At that point, what you've communicated is like, this was all for you, and this is what I came to do. Okay, and the context for what would actually happen, even if you didn't even drink that night, is lost on everyone that scrolls through, on everyone that sees it, on everyone that hits that double tap. Here's the other thing. I want to talk about double taps just for a minute, okay? I think that we need to give careful consideration to what we double tap as we scroll through our Instagram feed. And I think that we need to give careful consideration to that because it is known what you double tap, okay? As I scroll through my Instagram feed and I hit like the, you know, you, you hit the bottom, like every once in a while you get to the bottom, right? And you're like, whoa, there's a whole other world outside of these things. And there's like all these other random things. And what shows up on my, like after I've hit the bottom of mine is all the things that you all have liked because we are friends on Instagram, right? And I scroll through those things and I'm terrified sometimes. I'm like, I don't think that what they were doing in that video, I can see a couple right now where like they tore the light post down and they carried it through the apartment complex. Like I don't think that that was 
Like, yeah, like some of you have seen that, right? I know that because some of you like that. And you, when you like that, you were not trying to communicate that what they did was right. Correct? Maybe you were. <laughs> That's a different discussion, right? But that, that what I saw in that moment was like, is this, do I need to address this in our next one-on-one? Like, like is this, and, and so others of you, you have been sliding through, I meet with both of you guys, but chill, chill. Like, others of you, like, as you scroll through and you double tap certain things, and it starts certain things about the male or the female body are, like, posted on people's Instagram feeds, and as you like them, are you, what, what is the symbol of that? What are we communicating to the outside world, though we don't even know we're communicating that because we never see it on the other side of the screen? And so I just think we need to be... Like all these different filters that I'm asking you to, to consider with alcohol and to consider with parties, I'm going to ask you to actually consider that with all of your social media. Because the, to post like a, you know, like the Bible verse of the day or the quote of the week, and then to like some of the other things, it just sends a very confusing message sometimes. Whew, man, so this is fun. Here's the other thing, like I feel like, like as I was writing this message, it was, it was kind of awkward because I felt like I was like teaching you all how to drink responsibly. And it's like, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Then it was like, okay, well if they choose not to drink, that's okay too. And I was like, yes, that is true, but it is okay if they do. And I, feel, I felt myself in this radical tension of like, how does this message come across? Is it gonna come across as just some weird legalist? Jeez, I hope not. Jiminy Crickets. Um, or is he going to come across as this guy that's like so pro-alcohol, like, yeah, let's all, and it's like, that's not what I'm trying to communicate either. What I'm trying to communicate, what I feel like the text is communicating, what I feel like love is communicating, is like, let's live in that tension. This is the beauty of the freedom that we have in Christ, is there always will be tension. There are gray areas in our lives, and that Paul is asking us to exercise wisdom, but to let love drive that wisdom love for our brothers, love for our sisters, and an understanding of who they are in Christ and who they can become in Christ. We think about our friends that are just now growing in their faith or our friends who are, are close to coming into faith. And what would love say for our weekends? What would love say for White Claw Wednesdays? What would love say for the way that we treat alcohol, for the way that we treat social media. And let us use this as a filter as like we consider a lot of the things that are gray in our culture, not meant to be black or white, but that the freedom that we have in Christ allows us to, to push into that tension and to understand how will love win.